I'm Angelo Reale, and I am an artist and software engineer currently working as Senior Software Development Engineer at the web team at MongoDB. I've been working as a software engineer for the past 12 years, and my favorite hobby, passion, love, whatever you call it, is music, and it will always be. Welcome. This is the MongoDB Podcast. I'm Shane McAllister, and as ever, we're glad to have you tune in and join us. In this episode, we delve into an area that we've covered a few times before on the podcast, that of developer paths and the journey to a developer career. Today, we're joined by Angelo, whom, as you heard, is on the web development team here at MongoDB. Angelo's path to becoming a developer is fascinating. From joining his mother at data science lectures in college as a small child, through to freelancing, contracting, and turning his vacation project into a role here at MongoDB. Angelo is equal parts artist and technologist with an amazing story to tell. Speaking of stories to tell, do you know that MongoDB.local is coming to over 30 cities globally this year? .local events have commenced already and continue all the way through to November. We are most likely coming to a city near you. So join us at a MongoDB.local to connect with MongoDB experts meet fellow users building the next big thing, and be among the first to hear the latest announcements. To learn more, visit mongodb.com forward slash events. And with that, let's get on with the show. Angelo, it's great to have you on board. For our listeners, why don't you tell, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and what you do here at MongoDB. Sure. First, Shane, thank you very much for the invite. I was very eager to volunteer when I heard the prompt that you were looking for stories. And I think it's not a, a, a Hollywood bestseller story to tell, but it's a really good story to tell. And I think I'm going to try to tell it here. It is. Don't undersell it, Angelo. We're very much looking forward to hearing this journey, which intrigued me when I heard a little bit more about it. So I'm dying to get you on the podcast to join us. Absolutely. Thank you again. I'm Angelo. I'm Angelo Reale for those who are listening. And I am an artist and a software engineer currently working as a senior software developer engineer here at MongoDB. Uh, I basically work with the web team in the marketing department, which means I'm helping the team taking care of MongoDB.com, which is our marketing website. I've been working as a software engineer for the past around a little over 12 years now, which may sound a lot. I'm turning mm -hmm. 30 next month. But I've also had the opportunity around this extended time span to work in projects with companies like United Nations, Uber, Honda, Audio V, various, wow. and yeah, it's a very extensive set of projects that I had the pleasure to work with and learn from, absolutely, which brought me to MongoDB much prepared to, to be here telling this story in particular. One thing I definitely need to mention for those who know me and might be listening to this, <laughs> I need to mention that my favorite hobby, if not passion, if not love, absolute love, is definitely music. I am a musically upset person. I'm always listening to something. I have a web radio and I sleep listening to it. So it's definitely something I need to mention if I am introducing myself. Brilliant. That's a great background. And did you study programming or computer science or engineering or you self-taught or how did you end up in this space? That's a really good question. I did some studies. I'm graduated, but I think the story counts way back. Like I have to go way back to tell the story correctly. And to tell this story, I'd probably have to go to my childhood because mm -hmm. it was a very natural thing for me to work with development after all. 
given the fact that I grew up in a family of nerds. So that means... <laughs> the, <laughs> best the, the, the best upbringing. And nerds in the best possible sense as well, too, right? I, as I a compliment. Them. Yes, I love yeah. them. I love it. I think it just made it very natural for me to be a technological being, if that term I can use. My mom is a PhD in data science. And she oh, wow. obviously was studying during my upbringing. And at times, for instance, when she couldn't find a babysitter for me, I was like, I don't know, nine, maybe even younger. She would bring me to her programming classes. I remember in particular <laughs> one teacher she had. I think she now is lectures sometimes at Harvard. Garcia, Jose Garcia Vivas Miranda is a really kind human being. I was happy to meet when I was very young, who really motivated, apart from teaching my mom how to program using Qt for mm -hmm. data processing. He also motivated me to understand the power of programming and engineering and how we could use that to make the world a better place. He was a visionary, in my opinion, who really motivated me at a very early stage of my life. One of my uncles, for instance, he had one of the first hardware stores in my hometown. I was born in Salvador, Bahia, Brazil, which is mm -hmm. the third largest city there. It's the first capital. It was the first capital when Brazil was still being colonized. And one of my uncles had the first hardware parts store there. So all the newest gadgets and features. And for those who grew up in the yeah. 90s, hardware played a major role in, in being nerd and being technological. It still does, but it was much more important. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because the variety of hardware back then, everything now is a screen. Back then, it was different shapes, sizes, buttons, displays, everything. You could unscrew something and take it apart and figure it out how it worked. But for those that are maybe born in the last 15 to 20 years, it's a rectangular square of glass and plastic is mostly seen as every technology. Phones have eaten every little piece of gadgets. Whereas back in these days, Angelo, there was gadgets for everything. You had multiple gadgets. I'm sure that was heaven if you were in your uncle's hardware store. True. In fact, I think one thing I didn't keep, but I remember, and I even repurchased, used one afterwards. It was, I think I might be mistaken by the exact year, but I think it was the 96 ThinkPad that my mm. uncle used to have. And it was like having a laptop in the 90s was something really, really fancy, I think. Uh, was that the one with the clever keyboard that expanded out a bit as you opened no, it? No, no, I don't think that. Yeah, no, I know that's probably pre that. It was a big okay. chunk of like a brick or something. But it was so beautiful. I even repurchased that because I just like to collect. I call that antiques at this point in time. And this uncle had a son called Robertinho. He actually works nowadays as a software engineer at Google. Big ups, Robertinho. <laughs> yeah, he's my cousin, <laughs> so I should probably say that if he's listening. One of those gadgets was, for instance, a switch, like all those Ethernet okay. LAN gadgets that one could possibly get. And I remember proper, even... The, proper yes, hardware. Proper yes. hardware. <laughs> and I remember we wanted to play games, right? We were kids. We mm. were like, I was 10, 11 or something. And he was like two years younger than me. So we were we wanted to set up our own Tibia, local address network server and things like that. Mm. We did something fun. I remember we once passed a cable over 10 stores of a building because I used to live in the same <laughs> building and we were separated by 10 stores. But we were on the same window, so we got the cable down. Once our parents found out, I think they got a little bit upset with that. <laughs> Just for you to understand how I was like growing up, and that's how I got into technology. When I turned around 16, internet was the big thing, right? Not everyone in my family is working with technology. My aunt, One of my aunts, uh, she's graduated in fine arts, and she was doing graphic design work, clients, local clients. 
and people start asking for news email newsletter templates people start asking for okay. websites and things like that so my aunt who was not as interested in technology she would ask me i was like a high school student with yeah, of uh, course of course <laughs> you know this technical stuff you're yeah, young yeah. yes and i started working with html and css back mm -hmm. then so that's how i got into web development i was torn between physics because i wanted to study complexity i read a lot of books when i was a teenager complexity i got a tour the singularity is near stephen pinker i had i think four books from stephen pinker how the mind works tabula haza the instinct of language and i think i might be missing another one i just can't remember uh, but yeah i was a nerd in all senses and i was mm -hmm. uh, torn between physics to study complexity and music composition and orchestra direction to be precise since 15 16 years old i decided for music back then and i've studied it for about a year in a local a really good university locally i was admitted in first place and i was very excited and i was very devoted to music but I was so devoted that I literally devoured the library's books. I basically read all the books on technology and music that they had available. And I think it was not that many, four or five or something back then. Which is super interesting because I constantly get into this argument with my non-technical friends that writing code and developing is a creative experience. And there's always these discussions, are you left brain, are you right brain, are you logical, or are you creative? And I think developers, in essence, need to be both. And I think that's incredible to hear that in your own background. It makes a lot of sense now as to how you ended up doing what you were doing, because I fully believe, yes, we can copy and paste from Stack Overflow, but you still need to be super creative and to really want to make your code optimal and perform is almost an art form in my view being super nerdy and i think that's great that you come from that background but you were straddling both at the same time yeah that's correct i think i'm reading a book that's i, I recommend this book when it comes we'll to put this intersection the show notes to all of these books angelo cool. as well too so people can pick them up definitely yeah the book is called if hemingway wrote javascript and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> And it's a really good one. <laughs> I, yeah. I recommend it. Yeah, it's a really fun book to read, especially if you're in this intersect between arts and coding. So definitely recommend that one. Yeah, so I fell in love with technology and I was already in love growing up with technology, but I fell in love with technology applied to music. So my mom was at that point doing her PhD in Barcelona. And I realized there was a university mm -hmm. in Barcelona, basically creating synthesizers, at the edge of computing-driven music, mm -hmm. music tools in particular. The university was Universitat Pompeu Fabra, uh, and they, had a, they created a synthesizer called React Table, which I was okay. very much interested at. So I asked my mom if I could just move there and try to study there because I wanted to maybe... Why not? Yeah, when I understood that working with, as uh, graduating as a composer and music orchestra director, I'd probably either be creating spots and ads, for, which is not bad, but I, it's not what I was studying music for. I decided to just basically try and get that to that intersect between technology and music. So I went there. I've tried to apply. I had one month to learn Spanish and for real. Okay. <laughs> Portuguese is very... Yeah. There's a challenge. I, Brazil speaks Portuguese and it's mm. very much different from Spanish. And I had to take the admission exams in Spanish. 
I've arrived in July around my birthday and I turned 18 when I arrived. And then mm -hmm. I had one month between the, I think the exams were like in August to start the lessons in September, which is the usual start date here in Europe. Okay, and so there's nothing like a deadline to focus the mind then. So you essentially grokked Spanish in a month. I can tell you how I've learned it. I have went to the <laughs> local library and I started reading Ethica uh, Nicomaco. It's a book by Aristotle. I don't know the English translation for it. Okay. That's how I already knew math. I already knew literature, all the basics from an admission mm -hmm. exam I was mm -hmm. acquainted with. So I've decided to learn a language prior to mm -hmm. the examination. Mm -hmm. And I, to do, I read a philosophy book called Mako's Ethics, roughly translated by Aristotle. And I spent my month reading that book, which is very interesting. There is a mention, a very poetic mention to, to, to seagulls and how, no, golondrina, I don't know the bird translation, how one single golondrina don't make a summer or something. Anyway, very interesting reflection of that book. And I was just practicing a new language. I did the examination and I didn't get the score I needed for the course I wanted, which was audiovisual systems engineering at Pompeo Faber. I did okay. pass the exams and mm -hmm. I got an okay grade. I've applied to correlate co career in, in UPC, the Polytechnic Catalonians University, mm -hmm. but on a correlate uh, because the audiovisual systems engineering course was part of the telecommunication schools. And oh, I've applied for telecommunication systems engineering. Because the hype around Pompeo Fabra and that particular course was so high that the cut line was higher. I could learn the same things while I'd wait for the next year application uh, yes. in meanwhile. So I entered UPC on telecommunication systems engineering. And it was okay. nice. You know, like, so audiovisuals yeah. loss is telecommunications engineering's gain then, yes. as far as your career path. Yeah, I would have to learn the same things. Calculus, Fourier, algebra, linear algebra. And I did. And it was a great couple of years I did because next year... I did the first year in UPC, then I've applied again. I got into the audiovisual systems engineering course in UPF. And I think I didn't finish those because I personally felt I wanted to start something. I didn't want to okay. just study something. So, I think that's a natural segue to my next line of questioning. So what happened next after this? And how did you get started in your development career then? You know what's super cool? I was doing freelancing because obviously at that point I was still somewhat supported by my parents. Mm -hmm. I was 20 years old, still figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So I moved back to Brazil and I actually started an art collective called Karuna, the Sanskrit for compassion. I bought a domain, krn.cc, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to put on that domain. I only knew how to make websites because that's what I was freelancing. How we chose the name is actually an interesting story. I was with some friends after going back to Brazil and mm -hmm. in my, we were in my living room making music. <clears throat> And then we got a book from Dalai Lama uh, and okay. we opened a, random, yeah, a opened random a random page. page. <laughs> and the first word we saw was Karuna. And we said, let's call the collective that name. At that point, it was, yeah, it was realistic. I didn't know mm. how much Karuna would actually mean in my life because being Sanskrit for compassion and Dalai mm. Lama defines it as literally more than empathy. It's the okay. ability to crush someone else's pain. And... I spent the next years while doing Karuna learning the importance and the definition of compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. obviously choosing a name and creating music around that name, creating mm -hmm. events, meeting people, introducing myself culturally and socially as one of the founders of Karuna, it really mm -hmm. had a very important weight on my shoulders. And I didn't want to disappoint. I've always had this kind of like sense of responsibility where if I am presenting myself as an employee of MongoDB or as the Grof mm -hmm. Karuna, 
I need to at least know the history and the definition of what I am, the role I am entitled with. Especially for something that you started and that the name has such meaning, it's easy for people to carry off something if the name doesn't mean anything. A lot of tech companies have these nonsensical names and that's perfectly fine. But if you choose something in that manner that you chose, then you do need to embody it almost sure. as well too. It's like the vision, the values, basically. I had to spring those values within me so I could, if ever, make Karuna something like a company or a corporation, who knows? I would have to have those values within me before trying to suggest that we'd be looking for, I don't know, employees or partners or anything that would be aligned to those values. Okay. And um, what happened Karuna then? Where did that go? That's an interesting story. I started Karuna in, in Salvador, my hometown, because mm-hmm. it was just... I was there, I was with friends, and it was easier. We did it for a while there, and then I've moved to Germany because okay. I, yeah, I had a relationship, and that person asked me to relocate to Germany because it, it was just easier. So I moved there, and obviously, Karuna was not paying my bills. Freelancing okay. with web development yeah. was still paying okay. my bills. So I've tried to find just basically job opportunities, clients and stuff like that. And I did pretty well for a while. Also for Karuna, being in a cosmopolitan city like Berlin was very, mm-hmm. very much helpful. We've mm. managed to do a four-day music festival in one of the wow. most renowned European clubs called, actually, okay. there was a room inside there called, back then it was called Shift. Nowadays mm-hmm. it's called OM. So we did a four-day Festival. We had yoga lessons. We had live painting, live jams, DJ nights, and then a kind of like living museum. What year was this? When was this? Now to put us in context. Yes, Karuna was founded in 2012, and I moved to Berlin in 2013. And yeah, the festival I think it was at the end of 2013. Uh, Karuna also did a couple of other really cool things in Germany. Series of events around different. Neighbors and Kreuzberg, Wedding, and I think Mitte. Yeah. There were four events. And we raised funds, for instance, to buy a sound system for Fula, which is a social worker in mm-hmm. Kenya. She's a blogger. She spoke at TED nowadays. We were in touch and I wanted to help. So I did those events and helped her buying a sound system for talent search among mentally challenged people in the slum areas of Nairobi in Kenya. Yeah, that's amazing. And so the day job of freelancing was supporting the artistic endeavors. What sort of freelancing roles did you end up in? What sort of areas? What sort of industries? Yeah, I think I mentioned I've worked with United Nations. That was Mm -hmm. still in Salvador when I was starting my career. I've worked with the 12th United Nations Congress on Crime Prevention and Criminal Justice, and I've helped the UNIS, the United Nations Information System team from Vienna, connecting the audiovisual streams to the live broadcast platform, updating the websites with press releases, photographs from the important government representatives that were appearing every other day. And we did so for a while and it was great. And I felt like that was something I would happily work with. It'd be very rewarding showing the impact that you can have and how you can help that large organization communicate effectively. Yes. And then in Berlin in particular, I had some interesting clients. I remember Lisa, she wanted to create a craft up blog about the crafts, the do-it-yourself stuff that she did. Okay. So, yeah, we created craftup.de and it was nice. She provided me with all the illustrations and she really had designed the website in a very tailor-made way. Back then, the original website I have design-wise, artistically, it was the most Brilliant. interesting. Nothing boilerplate then, so yes, all original. Like, yeah. 
as if she was making clippings and collage okay. from, but wow. on a website, it was beautiful. I've also helped another friend, Bhagavan Davi, with his personal portfolio. He's a fine artist. I've also helped a political party in Germany in a project called 100% Tempelhoferfeld. Tempelhoferfeld was a German Nazi airport that is about mm -hmm. used as a public space for people to join and get together and do all sorts of things like bonfires, okay. music. It's a huge area, green area wow. inside of Berlin. And So all of the technical work you were doing was still in very creative areas, helping artists, helping collaboratives come together and build something. You then went on and you ended up, as I was speaking to you in preparation for the podcast, you ended up with an idea of your own. Tell us about that story. That's true. At some point, I faced some challenges, economical mm -hmm. challenges in Berlin. I couldn't find new clients. and Okay. It's hard gig as a freelancer. It really is. You are, yeah, jumping from client to client and there's a double-edged sword. You can have no clients and no income, or you can have too many clients and no work getting done because they're all screaming at you. That's true. I won't get into the details of how that hardship affected my life, but I think at that point I've realized I could use a hero, right? Mm -hmm. I said to mm -hmm. myself, like, there should be someone out there that could and would be willing to help me, but we are just mm -hmm. not able to connect because... I can't tell yeah. my story to that person. Yes. And I think back then, Facebook was growing up and all those social mm -hmm. networks concepts were growing up real quick. And I thought that that could be a thing. And that stayed in the back seat of my mind for a few years down the road. I managed to find my way out of that hardship. And then I moved back to Brazil at some point. And I think I went to a campus party in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Karuna was like on the mm -hmm. backseat of my mind as well, because at uh, that point I was focusing on getting a graduation. I, I said, no, I already tried to study. I studied in some of the best European universities. I wanted to start something. I started something. I did something. It was cool. But now I just need to grow up, get a real job, a stable income. <laughs> that <always> happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just need Become to probably graduate for doing that. So I was focusing on that. I Funny story, I was starting to become a diplomat at that point when I was thinking of Karuna. Angelo, how long is your curriculum vitae, your CV, your resume? I would imagine it needs quite a number of pages at this point. It is. I keep it short and tailored for recruiters, <laughs> focused on the technologies I most specialize with. But this I have an amazing <laughs> background. It's so interesting. I'm delighted you're sharing the story with us on the podcast. Yeah, so I was really studying to try and become a diplomat, which I didn't do, obviously. I have my own reasons not to have chased that path. But then I was going to this campus party in Salvador, my hometown, and okay. meeting a lot of really interesting... The startup culture was rising, and there were a lot of social entrepreneurs as well. So I met really nice people who were like-minded, who felt like Karuna and thought an engineer and type of people I have seldom met doing mm. this experience. I know a lot of the startup events I'm involved in are all hung around universities of various sorts. Yeah. It's great to be embedded into that. Yeah, although Campus Party is decentralized in the sense that it does not is it is not tied to a particular any particular university, but rather like just it's an itinerant okay. event that goes from place to place and creates basically what we call a boot camp. In that case, it was just in a stadium and there was just like a lot of stands from different companies and visitors who would come in. Originally, boot camps would be like people camping, but in that case, it was just like a day in mm -hmm. event. You would just come mm -hmm. and, and serve yourself. At one of those days, 
I've, I was looking for a coffee in the vest. after spending a whole day walking around the stadium. Okay. I was like, okay. I need a coffee. I could use a coffee. <laughs> I have some Italian origins. Brazil plants the best coffee. I think I, that's my drink. And I was like, where can I find a coffee? I literally walked the whole stadium, like the whole like stadium floor. Okay. The only coffee machine in the stadium was from an organization called Sebrae. It's like the commerce chamber of Brazil. Like It regulates and helps the private sector thrive in their respective industries okay providing so resources how they were that. attracting people to come and talk to them they had the coffee yeah and i was like how can i get a coffee and they said you need to pitch a one minute idea and if the jury likes Excellent. it I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> if the <laughs> jury nice. likes it then we can give you a coffee and i was like okay, okay i have 15 minutes until the next round mm-hmm. and the other round is going to be an hour from now i better rush and I, I, they've provided a, like a, an A3 paper with a diagram for to help you shape your okay. pitch. Okay. And that, yeah, for real, that's when Let's Hero was born. Excellent. So you again, you were put on the spot. <laughs> you needed to get that coffee, and therefore you had this in the back of your mind all the time from previously, from when you were freelancing in Berlin. But you decided to yeah bring this out into the open and talk about it. Yeah, I didn't have the name because later on I would spend a considerable amount of time finding a decent dot com because the reason I didn't name yeah. it Karuna was like <laughs> Karuna.com is not available. I'm not going to get it. But basically the idea behind Let's Hero was to create a marketplace where people can exchange help Okay. in order to stimulate the usage and the learnings I wanted to share with the users, mm-hmm. which is the importance of compassion the plan was to do so in a gamified way so that you get points, awards, mm. medals, advance a career from, a, I don't know, an apprentice hero to a superhero, ultimately, okay. or a local hero it. or something like that. <laughs> and that was basically the idea of pitch. And they loved it. Excellent. It's love a good it. idea. Yeah. Come on. And <laughs> yeah. the thing is, and that's what upsets me the most, <clears throat> is that the, they gave me the first prize. And the first, first prize for this pitch? Yeah. And they, ah, so something that was foistered upon you because you needed a coffee, you managed to win first prize? Wow. Yeah. And the first prize was a pen drive, not a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't going to help your desire to get a coffee. So they were giving you a pen drive instead of a coffee then. Yes. And I asked them to give me a coffee instead and they did, which I'm glad. <laughs> Ultimately, I got what I needed. Oh, yeah. So I got back home and basically... After having to organize and pitch mm. and realizing that people like that, I thought very humbly that could be a good business idea. And I decided to look for a dot-com. I ended up finding okay. letshero.com, serve the purpose, becoming hero, mm. playing around, just like helping others and becoming a hero. So let's hero, let's become heroes, the idea behind, but also keeping it short, easy to remember. Yeah. And short and available and easy to remember domains are pretty rare. It's great that you grabbed that. So you got the .com. Now you needed something to put on the .com, right? Right on, right on. So what am I going to put there? I thought I didn't have the time at mm-hmm. that particular point to do it, but I was thinking of an architecture just in case I would eventually have the time. And the year was 2016 again. I started getting more steady contracts for U.S. companies and agencies okay. and stuff like that. That's when I started working with Ogilvy, Uber, Honda, like as projects, part of different okay. And then also with 
US companies like, I, I say, because this particular set of projects happened in Sao Paulo, I moved mm. temporarily to Sao Paulo to work on them. Then I've landed my first remote job prior to the pandemic. And that was like a dream come true to me as well, because I could stay in, listen to music, take care mm. of my home and also work. I moved back to Salvador and I was working with this outsourcing agency back then and worked in projects like Parking.com, Houston Airports and Spaceport. That was interesting. Me Dance, which is a dance school in New York, American Nutrition Association, Heart Rhythm Society, bunch of really cool projects. And mm. it was a contract, mm. so I had a steady income. It was much easier than freelancing. And I got my first vacations in a while after that happened more or less around 2018. So end of 2019, I asked for a week of vacations and I have obviously evolved technically a lot during this period Mm. and I had time off. So I thought again of Let's Hero and I said, what am I going to, why don't I take this time? I already live in a vacation-like scenario. I was living in front of the beach and just, (laughs) why don't I create something beautiful? So you had a vacation, but you weren't going to take a vacation. You were just taking a vacation from the day job. Exactly. And I use that for lesshero.com finally. But I said, brilliant. if I need to build an application, a full stack application with a server, a front end, a database, what am I going to use? I only have one week to build it and it needs to Mm -hmm. be obviously all things scalable, reliable and all that. I didn't know MongoDB Atlas back then, but I did know MongoDB. And I thought creating tables, doing structured query language was not going to be sustainable for building the whole app end-to-end within a week. You need the flexibility of what you're building. This happens for startups a lot. They're building their product. They're building their MVP, their minimal viable product. What they start with is never what they end up with. So having something that's flexible and less rigid is the way to go. So you chose Mongo for that. Absolutely. It was actually a no-brainer for me. The document model suited my needs because the application would be an MVP and it would mm-hmm. need to evolve over time. So the schema would be evolving as well. And if mm-hmm. I were to build tables, it was just going to be a nightmare to maintain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I actually That's the had... pitch we like to tell most people when they come to speak with us at events. But it's great that you had this understanding yourself that you didn't go and... Did you consider any other databases for your backend at the uh, time? Not really. It was a really a no-brainer. Yeah, it was okay. really a no-brainer. Okay. So it was a home run, right. Yeah. <laughs> so how did the week go? What did you get to build? How much of the MVP? It was nice. I built a front-end over mock data using Vue. And the front-end worked like Charm. I added, I've added two views, basically, actually four views. One was a map where you could have the clusters of the helps and the helps themselves pinned to a map, depending on geographic region. You had the input form, obviously, to like... I need help with, I don't know, companion, medical help, legal help, um, psychological help, food, shelter. Okay. You could, the All user, the categories. Yeah. Yes. And you could add the location, a message, a video, payment details, because the idea was also to have some type of like monetary exchange where we could use a gateway or be a gateway to make the company mm-hmm. sustainable. And then the other view was the, the map where you could search for helps that were requested as well as a list ordered by proximity. And then you had a profile where you could have some settings, change passwords and stuff like that. Okay. And okay. it was just a front end until that yeah. point. I've designed first, use Figma for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a design. I don't work as a designer, but I just did the whole screens before because I knew that would be optimum instead of figuring out as I would code. Yeah. That I goes back to your semi-artistic background, right? You're probably a visual thinker. So being able to lay it out in Figma 
and then figure out how all the pieces of the puzzle come together obviously helped you. Yeah, absolutely. And then I've coded the front end with the mock data. That's how I was figuring the schema as I would code the front end. Then when I had a more or less stable schema and the endpoints I need to support for the operations I wanted to support, ask for help, mm -hmm. show the helps and stuff like that. I created a simple node backend using JavaScript always with a couple of routes that were obviously authenticated. Some were authenticated, some weren't. And then I've, it was time to sort that data some, someplace. So mm. I did something crazy. <laughs> I said that's crazy because I've literally rented a bare metal for just to run MongoDB community. And my other uncle, who nowadays works as an infrastructure engineer for a big gas oil company in Brazil called Petrobras, st partially state-owned, he actually suggested that I was using a bazooka to kill a mosquito. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. And then I decided to do some digging, and I realized that was something called MongoDB Atlas, right? Because mm. my and, and backend were running on AWS, basically. Mm. Elastic load balancer for scaling EC. I used Docker, so it was, I think, EKR basically servers. And then mm -hmm. also the front end running on CloudFront as an S3 mm -hmm. bucket, just static assets, some CI CD to automate all that, push the front end and the back end when new changes were pushed to GitHub. And all that could be connected. I've realized that database itself could also run in the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. And once I figured or understood or learned about MongoDB Atlas, I was surprised. I said, no, okay. it's going to be piece of cake. They even come with a free tier. I'm going to test it out. I've tested in, I don't know, 15 minutes. All my mock data was there and it was just connected. It was just like so easy to plug. Literally the definition of plug and play for me when, at that point was redefined. For databases, it was completely redefined. For me, a plug and play database would be a document database that would run mm. on-premise. We could get more plug-and-play than that. And Look, this is the whole point of our developer data platform is you get on to build the things that you're good at building and we take care of the rest, everything else. I'm delighted that you got to that realization within 15 minutes of playing around with it. That's incredibly quick. I'm sure the our documentation team and tutorials team, et cetera, here would be <laughs> delighted to hear that. You, know, you built it and you found MongoDB, you found Atlas, you started to build it. Did you get it done in your week of semi-vacation? Yes, it was live. Let'sHero.com mm. was perfectly live. You could sign up, Excellent. you could log in, you could use it. I've asked for help using it. <laughs> the production environment, I have only one help. I need legal help. I need to, you know, a terms okay. of service, a privacy policy. I didn't know how to, I don't speak that language, unfortunately. A friend warned me that I couldn't have it live. It would be risky to have that website live and operational if I wouldn't have at least a terms of service because people okay. could abuse the platform. Potentially, Treat yes, other yeah. people into helping and then, I don't know, kidnapping them. You no, know, Brazil is a place <laughs> where you really have to worry about those things. And my week was over. The creation was available and the warnings were received i just decided to take it offline after a couple of months after i actually the thing is there was an interesting story after following up to that as well which was mongodb have an excellent sales scene and a sales representative understood that i could be a qualified lead right they've reached out to me presenting basically other products that okay. would make my life easier, like Atlas Search or something would be something. Yes. If yeah. I were to have that living in production and having a real like 
scale need or something like real use cases for of for course the you need to bolt on all the other extras yeah. that you get with atlas yes but then when i joined the meeting with Filippi, which was a sales representative at Mobile, a corporate account executive i already entered the meeting telling him i am very sorry if i made you join this meeting for to make you waste your time i'm not planning on investing too much okay. because, because it's just a side project during my vacations but in fact, I might ask for his kids to use this time we have available here to maybe show you what I'm building. Maybe you can okay. help me find ways to make it better. And I don't know. And then he was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I pitched. So you reversed the pitch on him. Then, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I love it. And then he loved it, really. He gave me a $100 coupon for Atlas okay. credits and said, I can only give you that. But if you want to find out more, you can go to MongoDB for Startups. And maybe mm. we have a program mm. that can help you like really scale and build your platform, at least on the early stages. Okay, I'm going to you know, apply for it. And mm. I got accepted, actually. I think a couple of weeks after MongoDB for Startups accepted my project. Excellent. And yeah, I got, a, I think, a really good and generous funding for that particular project. And I was so excited. Actually, personally, it resonated in ways that I would, wouldn't even believe. I thought... For the first time, not only someone believed in my idea, instead of giving me a coffee, a pen drive, they actually gave me <laughs> cash for it. And I was like, whoa, man. I, I felt really useful and really smart. And I thought at that point, I felt like that could be potential for Let's Hero. I just not the really startups program is superb. We've had a number of them on the podcast. I know the startups program has seen probably, I think it's near to 6,000 startups come through it. Uh, and it is exactly as you say, Angelo, it gives you Atlas credits, which are plenty of credits in order to build your MVP and beyond, actually, to keep you going for quite a while, but also the technical mentoring and everything else that comes with that too. Plus introductions and showcasing at our events or getting articles up on our .com or Developer Center blog as well too. So we will put a link in the show notes for anybody interested in learning more about the MongoDB for startups. So You've used MongoDB, you were impressed with MongoDB, you reversed the pitch of MongoDB to pitch back Let's Hero, but Let's Hero didn't live beyond that because of the ramifications of not having the terms and conditions and the legals. But MongoDB, hold on, where did that go then? So yeah. you liked it so much, you decided to do what? <laughs> On my next vacations? <laughs> Actually, a little prior to my next vacations, I've decided, I decided, even though I was contracting, obviously, the path from freelancing to stability can go through contracting with the awareness that contracting might not be the most stable solution we can find. So mm -hmm. I was looking for a full-time job. Okay. And I wasn't just job hunting in the sense that I was sending thousands, hundreds of CVs. Mm. But every so often, while I still have active, had active contracts, I would send a couple CVs to companies that aroused my interest. Mm -hmm. And MongoDB was definitely one of them. And I've applied for a position at MongoDB. Okay. I, yeah, I actually wrote a cover letter and all that. It was like yeah. things that people automate these days when they're looking for jobs. <laughs> or chat. GPT will do for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I actually wrote a very thought out letter and I was amazed to be moved on to the next stage, which was the interviewing mm. stage. And that's when I got my vacations, right? I said, I really need to focus on that. And I I was visiting my in, my ex-in-laws close to Barcelona in Manresa by the time I was interviewing. And I remember thoroughly reading about 
the interviewees and mm -hmm. understanding what they have worked with, what that would intersect with my own experiences, like Scott, who contributed to Marco.js, which mm -hmm. was a framework I've used in the past. And it's, a, it's not as well known as React and Vue. So I brought up that subject or Jason, who had a major in literature and being an artist and musician, we mm. talk a little bit about how art can intersect with technology. And Dan, who you come from an electrical engineering background and mentioning how we can move from telecommunications, in my case, a telecommunications, another engineering background and do software engineering and so on. I really dedicated myself to those interviews and I got a position or a role at MongoDB web team which I've been, I can say, proudly doing for the past couple of years. Yeah, that's where I end up. I think the whole journey, Excellent. I found multiple heroes among my journey. And I think that's zero.com still in my possession and all the code base mm -hmm. too. If that didn't become an idea now, it might become in the future. Maybe when I mm. retire, who knows what's going to happen in the future. I, I don't have a crystal ball to predict the yeah. future. But all I can say is that if originally what gave birth to Let's Hero was my need for hero, for a hero, through life with an open heart and an open mind, I could find multiple heroes, people who actually believed in my ideas. And one of those was definitely MongoDB, not only providing the tools for me to turn my dreams into reality at ease and at a reasonable mm -hmm. pace, not just struggling with things that are outdated at this point, technologies that are outdated, just a really simple data platform for me to use and do something that scales. But also definitely all those different people who, who I had the pleasure to come across and who gave me eventually a pen drive or a cup of coffee or just some claps on the backs and just like that. There's a, there was a website, I think it was a book and might have been even a documentary called One Red Paperclip. And it was about a, a, an individual who traded this red paperclip all the way up to a house. You know, so he traded the paperclip for something slightly more valuable and then traded that for something. And if we look at your arc and your story, the pen drive being traded for the cup of coffee and everything else that happened from that is, is an amazing journey because I think a journey through your career, a journey through as a developer, particularly when you're freelance and working for yourself or contracting, is exactly that. It's a journey. And Angelo, this has been a superb journey of yours. And we're delighted, you know, that the calling card of MongoDB easy to work with, et cetera, and all of that, you ended up with the role here. So your day-to-day, -day, you look after some of our web assets and websites, et cetera, as well too, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's what I'm focusing on today. And I'm very, I'm very thankful for that opportunity because I feel like it aligns with my values, the values I've, I gave birth with the creation mm -hmm. experience of Karuna, Let's Hero, and so on, in the sense that knowing that I'm helping people understand how MongoDB can help make their dreams come true at ease. Eventually, another Let's Hero might show up. Someone might actually have more business acumen and use MongoDB to save the world in, the, in a very mm -hmm. crude sense, just like creating the tools for other people to have a better life and helping ease their pains. Somewhat, mm -hmm. I feel like working inside MongoDB helps me achieve that goal or say in Portuguese, there's a goal por tabela. Nice. You shoot the ball at the goal and it don't directly score the goal, but it touches the pole okay. and then it enters the goal. Okay. So it's by consequence, ultimately, the actions of my role might help other people ease the pain of others. So that, that's something I'm very satisfied and thankful for the opportunity of doing, actually. 
Excellent. Listen, I think that's a superb place to call our conversation to a halt. I think this has been a fascinating journey. I think we should say that obviously with Let'sHero.com, you still have everything. If anybody listening to the podcast has that ability to try and get involved, maybe in a project that needs those terms and conditions and all the legal stuff, but also an extra impetus to start again, you'd be up for that, right, Angela? Ah, yeah, I have the code, I have the domain, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think I can tell the story multiple times if needed. (laughs) Excellent. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I know you mentioned a few books and sites and things here in our conversation. We'll throw those into the show notes. But Angelo, before we go, any last words to our audience and our listeners from you and your experience so far to date? Yeah, actually, I haven't thought of this. I just feel like life can be overwhelming for everyone. We have ups and downs. And one thing I suggest based on my own experiences is stay true to yourself. If you, by any chance, had a life experience that helped you creating some core personal values, even if situations change and things are not as easy or appealing as they used to be, Mm -hmm. try and stick to your values. Stay true to them. Move with the confidence that if you're good intended and connected and true to your values, eventually things will turn out to be exactly the way, not you would expect, but the way they should. And I think that's a leap of faith I've personally made and that made my life and my pain easier to navigate through. Excellent. With that, Angelo, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the MongoDB podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Shane, for the invitation again. A truly fascinating conversation with Angelo on his developer journey, and it really was that, with so many twists, turns, locations, luck and serendipity, which all played a part, and I really like how he ended on that note of stay true to yourself. As ever, for any of the sites and links mentioned during the episode, do check out our show notes for more details. I've definitely taken a note of that book, If Hemingway Wrote JavaScript, That was certainly a new one for me. As ever, if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And so from me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, until next time, do take care and thanks for listening.